Thanks to Harry's for supporting Industry Focus. Harry's stands behind the quality of their blades, but they know that switching razors isn't an easy decision. So they created a trial offer. You can claim yours by going to harrys.com fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It is Friday, September 28th, and we're talking about the marriage of two tech companies and a very public separation. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined on Skype by senior tech specialist, Evan New. Evan, what'd you think of that intro? A little drama, a little intrigue? Yeah, a little. I like the marriage and the separation play. Yeah, you know, I try to be a little quippy <laughs> here. Um, so today we're going to be talking about the recently announced Sirius XM Pandora deal and the departure of Instagram co-founders from Facebook. Why don't we start out with the happy news? Why don't we talk about the the matchmaker deal that happened? Um, at announcement, Sirius said that it would be acquiring Pandora in an all-stock deal, which would value Pandora at around $3.5 billion. And I think that this is something we can file into the they finally did it category, Evan. Yeah, I think people have been speculating about this for a while. And I mean, Sirius took a, a I think it was a 15 or 20% stake in Pandora, I believe, last year. So these two companies already have a relationship, an investment relationship, and they're partnering. You know, see, so yeah, I don't think this really caught too many people by surprise. Yeah, it was like those two friends that will they, won't they, they finally do at the end of the sitcom special. Uh, I think everyone's kind of happy about this on their end. Um, the original deal terms had roughly a 14% premium. And this is based on trailing stock price calculations. And what, what's kind of weird about this all-stock deal is they set an exchange rate. This is the case with all all-stock deals. And so you have a certain number of shares you receive for each share you own of the company that's being acquired. But because of that, the value of the deal can swing as stock prices move. And the math that they laid out in the original announcement was that each shareholder for Pandora, for every share they own, would get 1.44 shares of Sirius XM, which works out to an equivalent of $10.14 per share. And uh, that meant that at the time, Sirius shares were worth roughly $7 when they were crunching the numbers for this. The problem here is that Sirius shareholders, I guess, or the market weren't really thrilled with the deal. And so Sirius shares dropped 10% as a result, which throws off some of the calculus that they did so now shares are down around $6.35, meaning that Pandora shareholders are getting $9.15 roughly in value for their shares, which is below what Pandora shares are currently trading for on the market. So there, there's kind of this wonkiness to it because it's an all-stock deal, Evan. Yeah, and it's funny because the I think Sirius's chairman had always talked about trying to buy Pandora at $10 a share and it's basically exactly what they're offering, you know, and you know, before Pandora was much when Pandora's value much higher. You know, it didn't really you know, sound viable, but now now it actually seems like it could go through. Um, but I think another thing that's also worth noting is that generally speaking, the more stock that's included in a deal, it kind of signals to the market that you know management is less certain that the benefits will materialize. Because if you're if you're really confident that some deal is going to create a lot of value, the best thing to do is to offer all cash so that the acquiring company can basically keep all the value that's created from this deal in the future. Whereas when you do an all-stock deal, you're essentially sharing the future upside or downside with the company you're acquiring, or at least the company's shareholders, whose company you're acquiring. Now, of course, that's not to say that, that I mean, that's like a general thing, but of course, there could be other factors, like whether or not the company has enough cash to do an all-cash deal. And in this particular case, Sirius definitely doesn't have $3.5 billion in cash on the balance sheet, you know, they only have about $65 million. So, you know, the, the only real alternative is either you take out a ton of debt to fund a cash deal, or you offer stock, which is you know, what they're doing. 
Yeah, and so we're focusing on the details here because this is something that could come to play with shareholder approval down the road. You know, if the market price is higher than whatever deal is being offered, it could go through several rounds, and it might just be that there's a large majority of shareholders that aren't happy with the deal. Um, I put out on Twitter that we were going to be talking about the serious Pandora deal and got some questions from followers of the show. The first one comes in from Riley, who asks, what redeemable value does Pandora even have? It seems like a bad move to buy an asset that does not make money. And to Riley's point, Sirius is a profitable company that has about 30% operating margins. Pandora posts operating losses and does not even really have the excuse of being a high-growth company, Evan. I've never liked Pandora. I mean, they it's been kind of incredible watching them just fail on execution for pretty much as long as I can remember. I mean, they've just done basically everything wrong. I mean, they were a pioneer in online streaming music and they're just so irrelevant today relative to, you know, Spotify or Apple Music. And yeah, it is kind of questionable like what what does Sirius see that, you know, they think will click for them. Yeah, I think it comes back to this idea that they have I think roughly 30 million uh, subscribers and Pandora has something north of 75 or so million and that combined 100 million number is a compelling group to market to. Well, I should point out that Pandora is 75 million. Those are predominantly free users, so they only have about six million subscribers. Uh, Sirius does, yeah. Sirius has about 33 million, but it's kind of crazy. I mean, Sirius itself is not like some. I mean, they're they're profitable, but they're not like some high growth business either. Because I mean, they're also kind of not where music is heading. You know, I mean, so for example, it's taken them seven years to grow from 20 million to 33 million subscribers. Seven years. Compared to that to Spotify, Spotify now has 83 million paid subscribers, and they've they've added 50 million paid subscribers in the last two years alone. You know what I mean? So, you know, where music is going is not generally towards Sirius or Pandora, and now they're just going to combine and hope that solves the problem. <laughs> yeah, this seems like the con- the type of consolidation that you would see as two people realize that like we need to band together and try to put our strengths together because the industry is kind of moving past us right now. Right. Exactly. Yeah, and. And so, if you're trying to make the case for this acquisition and why it makes sense, um, I have seen some some points made that, you know, Pandora could become the free on ramp to Sirius, and they could look at this group of you know 70 million or so people that are using Pandora regularly and try to build out the case for upgrading and upselling to Sirius subscriptions because so much of the Sirius model right now is locked into auto sales and these trials that come with cards. Oh yeah, and my, my, I, we just bought my wife a new car last month, and Sirius is not like they just keep harassing me to like, you know, renew my subscription, you know, all the you know, stuff that they've been doing forever, and it's just so annoying. And I, I've never been a fan of Sirius except myself, and will never subscribe. And and this idea is kind of backed up by comments that we're getting from Sirius CEO James Meyer. Some of the things he was talking about in the call here, he says, as I've said many times, we would benefit from having a free funnel. And when this transaction closes, we will have a scaled, engaged user base of 65 million people who listen monthly to free ad-supported digital radio, which would give them this opportunity. Um, but I don't know that, like to to our conversation earlier, I don't know that this is really where the industry is going. And, and I think that Sirius already has its efforts in place to upsell people to premium. You know, they, they get enough people on the car side. I guess this gets them outside of this market, but it's not a super compelling reason to me. No, exactly. And I mean, you you can create a free, you know, funnel on your own, a, t- a new tier of your existing service without spending three point five billion dollars in stock. I mean, what you can make a service for much cheaper than that using your existing distribution, your existing infrastructure, without having to integrate a whole other company into it. You know, what I mean, that yeah, I agree with you. I don't, I don't really see that as a really strong argument. 
Our second listener question comes from Chris, and he asks, does the combination of SiriusXM and Pandora as a service package make them able to compete with Spotify, Amazon, or Apple Music? I see the potential for them to stay relevant, but I think it is going to be hard. Uh, my, my immediate reaction is probably no, Evan. I agree. I mean, it's really music is just heading towards on-demand streaming, and that's where it's been heading for many years. And Pandora's has been so late to get onto that boat. Sirius is not really on there either. I mean, I don't really see them being all that relevant to where the music industry is clearly heading. It's kind of amazing because if you go back ten years ago and you say, "Okay, the industry is moving towards on-demand streaming music," you can pick two companies to bet on for who will be dominating this space in in 10 years, we'll say, I think it's probably Apple and Pandora, right? I mean, they had a huge presence. They were already where people were consuming this content. And both companies kind of got blown by in the streaming space. Yeah, I mean, I think Pandora, it's really, like I was saying earlier, they've just failed in execution for so long. I mean, yeah, like you said, it's probably been 10 years, because I would agree with you, 10 years ago, I would probably say Pandora would be this leader in music streaming. But their inability, or not inability, their unwillingness to inked direct licensing deals with record labels in order to expand internationally and able to offer on-demand music. You know, they relied on this whole idea of like statutory licensing rates and then that, that basically limits them to the U.S. only. And they, you know, they're, they're in Australia and New Zealand for a little bit, but they, you know, they discontinue those operations. But like they had this opportunity in front of them and this like first mover advantage. And then they just completely squandered it by not really seeing where the market was going and not knowing what to put in place to really capture that, you know, where where you know the market was going. Of course, thinking about all of this, it is not necessarily just a matter of Sirius and Pandora. Media conglomerate Liberty Media owns seventy percent of Sirius, and that stake is controlled by John Malone and Greg Maffei, two folks that are titans in the media landscape and have done quite a bit to steer uh, media where it is right now. Uh, they have a very good feel for the industry. So, th- I think there's a case to be made that if anyone's going to unlock value out of Pandora, maybe it's a John Malone type. Um, but the best case scenario that I can paint is that they can leverage the cost structure that Sirius has mastered and be able to make pretty decent money on uh, with the audience that Pandora has. I think that's a long shot, though. Yeah, I, I wouldn't bet too. I don't think the odds are that great. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to talk a little bit about what some recent departures from Facebook say about Mark Zuckerberg's management. But before we do, thanks to Harry's for supporting our podcast. Harry's founders were fed up with overpaying for expensive razors with unnecessary features. They knew that a great shave comes down to great blades. It was sharp, durable steel that lasts. That's why they bought a factory that's been making some high-quality blades for over 95 years. Harry stands behind the quality of their blades, but they know that switching razors is not an easy decision, so they created a trial offer. You can get a $13 value trial set that comes with everything you need for a close, comfortable shave, including a weighted ergonomic handle, five-blade razor with lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. Listeners of the show can redeem their trial set at harrys.com fool. Make sure you go to harrys.com fool to redeem your offer and let them know that I sent you to help support the show. Okay, Evan, news item number two, Instagram's co-founders are resigning. CEO Kevin Systrom and CTO Mike Krieger have decided to leave the company to build something else. What do you make of this? So they've stayed on Facebook for about six years, which is actually a bit longer than most startup founders stay when they're acquired by a larger company. Um, <clears throat> there's always a, a large stock component in these types of acquisitions, and the common vesting time frame is four years. So Systrom and Krieger stayed on about two years longer than that. So there's 
you know, some credit there that, you know, they, they didn't just jump ship immediately. And it is pretty common for startup founders to leave once their stock vests. <clears throat> so I think the really damning part of the story is less about the fact that they're leaving, but more about why they're leaving. And this all plays into Mark Zuckerberg's management. And, and this is what we've seen, you know, countless headlines about this week is just uh, the role that the higher ups at, manage, uh, at Facebook play when it comes to the properties that they acquire. Right. So what we've seen play out with Instagram was when they were first acquired back in 2012, they were promised that they would, you know, or Zuckerberg made a vow to let them operate independently so they had this autonomy. Um, but now what we're seeing is, you know, over the past couple of years, <clears throat> Zuckerberg has reportedly been exerting increasing control over Instagram. Like, for example, you know, a couple, we've seen a lot of these things in media reports, but he reportedly decided to pull back Instagram's promotion within the core of Facebook app which hurt referrals and signups by hundreds of thousands of users per week. Uh, they removed a label that identified Instagram posts as such that were being cross-posted on Facebook, which made it appear like that content was being kind of originally posted to Facebook instead of originally being posted to Instagram. And it might sound minor, but it, it really bothered Instagram because it made it seem like Facebook was taking credit for all this engagement that Instagram is creating at a time when you know, it seems increasingly like Facebook is desperate for engagement and trying to, you know, pull these levers that they can to get you, you know, poke you more and get you engaged. Whereas Instagram, that's more organic. And now they're kind of taking credit for it by not really clearly labeling it. So there's no doubt that, you know, Facebook's deep pockets and backing in ad infrastructure have been instrumental in helping grow Instagram from about 30 million users when they're acquired to a billion today. Um, but I think it's also clear that Systrom and Krieger were, were really crucial in creating that culture and product roadmap that got it there too. So, I mean, there's a lot going on here. I think that's part of the reason why this is a little concerning for some folks is, you know, they were they were huge in creating what we know today as Instagram, this this platform that has what a billion users and is one of the fastest growing, if not the fastest growing, social media platform out there. Um, given that this is the future for Facebook, you know, you you can see that with the growth rates on the user side for their namesake platform. Uh, I think a lot of people are wondering, okay, well, what does that say about what we're going to be seeing on this platform going forward? Right, and kind of another thing that's going on in parallel is this isn't the first time we've seen something like this play out. I mean, it's it's eerily similar to what we saw happen at WhatsApp. So WhatsApp co-founder Brian Acton left last year. He came out in a public interview this week, you know, just days after this Instagram news, basically saying the same thing. And it was kind of a, a shocking thing to, for him to come out so publicly in an interview with an exclusive interview with Forbes. So he left last year and he forfeited eight hundred and fifty million dollars. Um, but don't worry too much about him. He's still worth over $3 billion. So I yeah, think must be, be nice. Okay. <laughs> uh, his other co-founder, Jan Kuhn, left this year after his four years of vesting. Uh, but now, you know, WhatsApp's co-founders have also left for basically the same reasons. You know, they were initially promised autonomy and independence. And then Zuckerberg just came in here and started meddling more and more in their business and their strategy. And I mean, for WhatsApp, the conflict was even starker and, and arguably more predictable because... You know, Coom and Active had always hated ads. Like they hated them with a passion, and they were all about end-to-end -end encryption, user privacy, etc. Never wanted to monetize their messaging service with ads. Uh, but then they're bought by one of the biggest ad platforms on earth. And I mean, what do you expect to happen? <laughs> yeah, I think the struggle here is, well, of course, Mark Zuckerberg's doing some of this stuff, right? You know, he he has bought these platforms, and it is his goal to make the most out of them and to monetize them and provide value for shareholders as the CEO. Um, in some ways, you know, he's kind of given these people who he's acquired the freedom to run the product and not worry so much about monetization. 
because he is the quote unquote big bad wolf that's that's begging for ads that's going to be the monetizer. Right. I mean, initially he agreed that um, advertisements were not the right way to monetize a messaging service, but then now that's exactly what he wants to do. But there's also been other conflicts about like data sharing between Facebook and WhatsApp, similar to what we've seen with Instagram. You know, there's always this, this tension of like how much da- information and data is shared between all these platforms. And Facebook wants as much information as it possibly can through whatever means necessary. And these other companies that are they're trying to stand up for the user's privacy, but that you know that's what is creating these clashes with Zuckerberg. And I mean, for what it's worth, David Marcus, um, who now leads Facebook's blockchain research unit, previously was in charge of the next closest service to WhatsApp, which is Messenger. He used to be in charge of Messenger. He actually lashed out at Acton for publicly airing his grievances and calling him low class and all these you know, things because Facebook made Acton a billionaire many times over. And Mar- Marcus basically kind of said, you know, hey, Zuckerberg really does give these founders autonomy. But, you know, and tried to kind of defend Zuckerberg publicly, but, I mean, you tell me whose side is right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think at a certain point, like, when you're willing to take the paycheck and when you're willing to sell your company, you have to understand that it's going to, you know, lose some of the control that you've had over it. You're not going to be able to have it be this dream product that you've always wanted to be, especially if you're selling to a publicly traded company, right? I mean, they have certain obligations to shareholders. Right, exactly. Of course, so, I mean, certainly within their right, and they do have, uh, they do create these obligations to investors when they you know buy these companies that they're going to create value out of it. So it's certainly justifiable from their you know, standpoint as well. I mean, I think the real risk here is that Facebook and Zuckerberg you know fumbled the execution of not only these two incredibly important properties, but also any potential acquisitions in the future. I mean, you know, Facebook is is very active in acquiring any upstart social media company that he it, that's growing well and Zuckerberg perceives as some type of threat. So it really kind of changes the dynamics of how any future startup is that's approaching an offer is going to respond to an acquisition offer from Zuckerberg. And it's also worth noting that there's a huge disparity in what Facebook paid for these companies. Keep in mind the prices vary from the time of announcement to the time of closing due to the stock price fluctuations, kind of like you mentioned earlier with the Sirius deal. But uh, Instagram was announced at a billion. They ended up closing it at about $715 million. WhatsApp was announced at $19 billion and ended up closing at $22 billion. So $700 some odd million versus $22 billion. It's just worlds apart. <laughs> Which is amazing, you know, and, and it speaks to the user bases that those platforms had at the time. I think Instagram had maybe tens of millions of of people online and that's 30 30 million 30 30 million and whatsapp had hundreds of millions and so so that's it was like 450 i think <laughs> that's a big part of it but you look at those two different sticker prices and you think about the value that has been extracted from those two platforms instagram has been a wildly successful acquisition whatsapp a lot of that value has yet to be realized yeah, I think that's the big irony here is that in Instagram is much more promising as an actual business. I mean, analysts are modeling for it to bring in something like $8 billion in ad revenue this year, despite being so much cheaper. Um, but yeah, even right now, Facebook still isn't sure how to monetize WhatsApp, which has basically immaterial revenue, if any, right now, even though they paid this $22 billion. And I, I've been harping on this for years and at the risk of beating a dead horse. I still think Facebook will eventually eat a massive goodwill charge for WhatsApp because it paid so much and didn't really know how it was going to make you know, monetize and make money off this platform and build a business. And for reference, over 80% of Facebook's current goodwill carrying value is directly attributable to WhatsApp. And just to back it out for people who don't know the concept, you want to explain what goodwill is? So goodwill is when a company pays a premium for another company and you know the company that's being acquired has a certain amount of book value on its balance sheet of and then basically what your your premium that you're paying over that book value gets 
you know, quantified and accounted for as goodwill that you carry on your balance sheet. And then you know, in the future, you basically need to say, hey, this deal's worth it, and then that goodwill just stays there. And that goodwill is tested for every year. And if, if it ever turns out that, hey, we overpaid way more than we should have, then the company has to eat a big charge to write down the value of that goodwill, which does get reflected directly on the income statement in, in, in the quarter in which it's recognized. So they could potentially take a massive hit at some point in the future. I still think they will. I've been saying it for years. They still haven't. We'll see. We'll see. And this is something that you've written about quite a bit for Fool.com, right, Evan? Yeah, like every year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a refresher. So um, if anyone wants that explained in text, something that they can kind of follow along and read, at their own leisure, right into the show. We'll be happy to send it along to you. Uh, any, anything I, uh, before I let you go, Evan? I'm ready for the weekend. All right, me too. Listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or if you just want to reach out and say, hey, you can shoot us an email at industryfocus at fool.com or you can tweet us at MF Industry Focus. If you want more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes or check out the Fool's family of shows over at fool.com slash podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Dan Boyd for all his work behind the glass today. For Evan New, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! Fool on!